I started a study a couple of weeks ago in the Gospel of John, so that's where we're going to be for a while. I'm trying to take it in large chunks, and I'm not going to spend four years or five years in John like I would like to do. But uh, so, uh, so we've already looked at the first uh, 34 verses of the first chapter of John. We saw the great prologue in which Jesus is. Uh, referred to as the Word that was with God, the Word that was God. And we saw the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. And and John is talking about uh, the greatness of Jesus, the prominence of Jesus, the magnificence of Jesus. And that's why I like that song, Jesus, No Sweeter Name. He is the sweetest name that we know and uh, because He's our Savior, and we, we honor Him. But... Uh, then we saw the next part was John, about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, this uh, man that came out of the wilderness uh, into the, to the Jordan River and began to preach and began to cry out and tell people to turn away from their sins. Don't, don't we need that again today? I mean, don't we need some fresh John the Baptist? Uh, I guess uh, Nick the Baptist would be okay too, but... Uh, but, I mean, just to say to people, hey, look, we're, we're against God today. We're not for him. We're, we're living in, in uh, disobedience to his truth and to his word, to his laws, and we need to turn. That's the way John came preaching to repent, turn from your sin. And, and people came out. And, by the way, the nation of Israel had been under Roman rule for almost exactly a hundred years, a, a whole century. They had not known any independence or freedom. So politically, they were under uh, domination. Religiously, they had just become, their whole religion had just become a, a, a show. It had just become a, a, a front. It, it had no heartfeltness to it. It was just legalistic religion. And that doesn't do anybody any good. In fact, it does a lot of harm. In fact, it wasn't the, even though it was the Roman soldiers who actually crucified Jesus, it was the Jewish religious leaders that actually turned him over for crucifixion. And I want to tell you, the greatest enemy of true faith is religion. You know, I went to pastor a church in Halls, Tennessee, and a guy came over and lived across the street from where we were going to be living. He came over and wanted to meet the new preacher, and he said, I just want you to know I'm not religious. And I grabbed him and hugged him. I said, praise God, I'm glad to hear that because I'm not religious either. And he jumped back away from me like he had found the wrong person. And he said, well, I thought you was the new preacher. I said, I am. But I, I, I hate religion. God hates religion. I said religion is man trying his best to impress God and, and bragging on himself instead of God. But I said true Christianity is God looking down at sinful man and coming down to him and offering himself so that we could have eternal life. So I said, yeah, religion is the worst thing in the world. It was religious people that hated Jesus the most. And uh, by the way, I ended up baptizing that man a few uh, months later, and, and him and his wife, and, uh, or a year later anyway. 
And I just, I just want you to know that religion, it never, never does you any good. Faith is what God is looking for. Love the Lord. Somebody said, you know, well, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And I said, that's true. But I, I, I go even further. Real Christianity is not even just a relationship. It's a romance. It's a romance. It's loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the whole nation had just been saturated with a, a conquest. Then a, a, nobody living had ever lived free in, among the, the, the Jewish people. They had been under the Roman rule for all of their life. And then there had always been this talk about someday, someday God's going to send a Messiah. He's going to send a Christ. He's going to send an anointed one who will, will lead us out and will be our Savior and our friend. But they just had about given up hope. And then all of a sudden, this wild and crazy guy, John the Baptist, comes out preaching, saying, turn away from your sin because the kingdom of heaven is coming. The king is coming. He's going to be here soon. And then he points to Jesus and he says, look, there he is. There is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And so we come now to verse 35. That was just the introduction. Okay, so verse 35. I'm going to try to do the rest of the chapter. Pray for me. Okay. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. By the way, there were people that gathered around John, and they said, we want to be your disciples. And so two of the disciples of John were standing there with him, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And those two disciples heard him say that, and they followed Jesus. They said goodbye to John, and they followed Jesus. They said, we're not your disciples any longer. We're going to be his disciples. And John was all right with that. I mean, John said, that's great. Boy, I hate to see competition between pastors. Hate to see competition between churches. You know, so many times people say, uh, I had a guy call me and he said, uh, I heard Troy Aikman was going to start a new church right down here on the corner of, uh, of Bear Creek, I mean, of uh, Hampton Road and, and Ovilla Road. And he wanted to know what I'd say about that. I said, well, praise God, that'd be wonderful. He said, yeah, but what if he got some of your members? I said, well, in the first place, I don't have any members. I don't have members. Our church has some members. But I said, if, if they wanted to go there, that'd be fine. He said, I don't believe you. I said, well, I don't care <laughs> whether you believe me or not. The truth is, I am for any church and every church that's preaching the gospel. And I tell you what, if God were to, were to bring us a 500 people, that'd be wonderful. Don't know what we'd do with them, but we'd find something to do with them. But if God were to take some of our people and put them in another church, then I'd say if that's what God wanted, that's what, that's what they ought to do. So I don't, John didn't have a spirit of competition. I just love that about John the Baptist. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. I mean, 
He is what it's all about, not me. And I tell you, that's what I think we ought to all be saying. Yeah, Jesus is what it's all about. And he's the one that has the answers. He's the one that is the answer. These, so these two disciples, they began to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said, uh, what, are, what are you seeking? It's a good question to ask people today, even as they come to church. What, what are you looking for? Well, what, what are you seeking? Well, some people, they're seeking money. Some people are seeking blessings. Some people are seeking fame and importance. I asked a group of high school students one time, if you could have anything you want, if you could just have a request fulfilled, what would it be? Every one of them said either money or to be a, a rock star. <laughs> well, I think one of them did say to be a professional football player. But, uh, but every one of them had something that was physical, not one. And by the way, this was in a Christian school. <laughs> not one of them said, I would want to know Jesus better. I would want to uh, be able to live a, a clean and a holy life. Not one. And I just thought, what are you seeking? What do you hunger for? What do you long for? What, what do you say, God, please, this is what I want more than anything else? We talked in our Sunday school this morning about fasting. And we said that, you know, Americans are so, uh, are so physically oriented that God many times called his people to lay aside the physical altogether and to say, I'm not going to even eat any food today. I'm going to just seek the Lord today. I'm just going to taste and know that he is good and he is enough for me. So uh, uh, when Jesus said, what are you seeking? What, what, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we, we want to be with you. That's what we're seeking. We want to be with you. And I would say that that's what I want. I just want to be with Jesus. And I, I know I know hard times. I really believe that some harder times are coming in our land. And I think some of the things we've counted on, some of the things we've depended on, some of the things we've longed for, we may lose some of those. But there is something that I have that nobody can take away from me. The government can't take it away because the government didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away from me because the world didn't give it to me. And it is my loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can never lose that no matter what. I could be arrested. I could be put in prison. I could be mistreated. I could be whatever. But he would be right there with me. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And when they stood for him, he stood with them. And when we stand for him, he'll stand with us no matter what we have to go through. So he said, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him for that day. It was about the fourth hour, about the tenth hour, about four o'clock in the evening. And... Uh, and so they must have stayed and spent the night. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. One of these two men was, was Andrew. And Andrew, he's Simon Peter's brother. And 
he went and found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We have found the one that is promised. By the way, how many of you have watched any episodes of The Chosen? On t- uh, any of, okay. It's, it's all about Jesus calling his disciples. If you haven't seen it, I guess if you just, you can't actually see it on television. I think you can see it on YouTube. I think it's available on YouTube now. It's on Amazon Prime also. So you could get it on Amazon Prime, get it on YouTube, or you can go to the app, the chosen app, and watch it. But it's really, really well worth watching. It's about eight hours. No, 16 hours probably. 16 hours all together. And, uh, but it, it's the story of Jesus calling these disciples. And I love the, the part where Andrew, when he, when he hears Jesus and he meets Jesus and he dis- says, you're the Christ. The first thing he did was go get his brother and say, brother, we have found the one we've been waiting for. Come, I want you to meet him. I tell you right now, I would give just about anything I have if I could bring my brother to meet Jesus and he would meet Jesus. I've, I've told him about Jesus uh, hundreds of times. But if I could actually bring him to Jesus, that would actually be just about the pinnacle experience of my life. And I just think it's so amazing that Andrew, instead of just saying, well, Jesus, you're just so wonderful. I just want to stay here and let you bless me. He said, i got to go get my brother. Who is on your list to bring to Jesus? And he went and got his brother, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew, by the way, is always bringing somebody to Jesus. Don't you love Andrew? Andrew, some churches call their uh, visitation ministry, the outreach ministry, Operation Andrew because Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. He's the one that brought the little boy that had the, the, the lunch to Jesus that they fed the five thousand. says, Andrew came and said, here's a boy that has a lunch. Andrew always bringing people. But at first, he found his own brother, Simon, and he said, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon. That's his natural name. Is the son of John. You will be called Cephas or Peter, which means rock. The rock. And uh, uh, that becomes significant later on. But here's something I noticed. Andrew brings... Peter, Simon, to Jesus, and Jesus promotes Simon over Andrew. And we don't have any indication that Andrew got even irritated about it. It was like, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. You know, one of the best, one of the best measures of how genuine our faith in Christ is, is if our own brother or sister gets promoted above us or gets something 
that we don't get. And we can be happy for them. We can cheer for them. Instead of being jealous or being mad about it. If Simon got something given to him and Jackson said, well, well, I didn't get one. If I came over and I gave Simon $20 and Jackson put out his hand, I said, no, this is just for Simon. I hope Jackson would say, I'm happy for my brother. Congratulations, Simon. You'd do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and uh, that, that really, you know, I do have a Christian brother, by the way, my brother Don. They're going to be out here in a few weeks, two or three weeks. But uh, he's the world's greatest brother, really. He was so much more talented than me. He could do everything that I couldn't do. He was a star football player. I was just barely made it on the bench, you know. And, uh, but he was, he was a quarterback champion quarterback he was a champion diver champion gymnast he was a champion uh, uh, baseball player pitched a no-hit shutout in the state championship game he's just an amazing athlete and I was always so proud of him but he never bragged about his accomplishments and he always said what I'm proud of is my big brother I couldn't do anything. I could, I, I could preach a little, but that's about all I could do. And uh, when the families would all get together, they'd all brag on me. And it would embarrass me. He was much more talented than me. But they didn't brag on him. And do you know, it never bothered him at all. And he would always say, Nick, I'm so glad that they brag on you. That's just amazing. He's that way still to this day. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And uh, I just think that's the way, that's the way Andrew must have been. He brings his brother to Jesus, and Jesus right away begins to promote the brother and even makes Peter one of the inner circle and Andrew's left out. It's Peter, James, and John. It's not Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It's Peter and James and John. And Andrew is just left out. But he keeps bringing people to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's the spirit we ought to want, folks. That's what we want to be, is I don't have to be bragged on. I just want to be faithful. I want to be happy for others who have more than me. And it's a, if it's my own family especially, I just want to cheer for them. And uh, Trinity and Addison, right? I bet you if. If Addison was given something really, really nice, she was given a new whatever. Trinity, I hope you'd say, I'm so happy for you. 
I'm so proud that you have that. And I would hope then that Addison would say, well, I'll share it with you. <laughs> and you give him $10 of that 20 okay? That'll make him even happier next time you get something. But that's the right spirit. I tell you, the, the, the human spirit is the spirit that says, I want, I want, I want to get, I want to get, I want to get. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of love says, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give. I've told you before, love always asks three questions. You remember what they are? Love always asks, what do you need? What do you need? This is what husbands say to their wife. They may not say it out loud, but they say it. Uh, Demetric, we'll go over this in our premarital counseling here, but uh, you just get up every day and you look at Dane and say, Honey, what do you need? What do you need? How can I help? And what do I need to give? Because love is giving. So many times in the Bible when you hear the word love, pretty close to it is the word give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loved us and he gave himself for us. That's what love does. It gives. But what self does, it says, what can you do for me? What can you give to me? And I guarantee you, if you've got a husband and a wife who are both takers you're going to have a war. But if you've got one who are both givers, you're going to have a happy and healthy home. All right. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which was the same city as Andrew and Peter. And Philip went and found Nathaniel. So there, the, the group is beginning to grow. And he said to Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Apparently that was a pretty common saying that time. Nazareth was the the backwoods, hillbilly uh, town of that day. And nobody expected much to come out of Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, you just come and see. You just come and check it out. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And Jesus pointed to Nathanael. And he said, behold, an Israelite. Indeed, in whom there is no deceit or guile. And let me just tell you, the word here for guile or deceit is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word for Jacob. <laughs> he said, look, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. And you know who Jacob was? Jacob, of course, became Israel. But when Jacob was Jacob, he was known for his cheating 
and lying and deceiving. That's what his name meant. When they named him, I can't imagine a mother naming her child cheater. But they did because when he was born, he was grabbing the heel of his twin brother. And they said, look at that heel grabber. Look at that uh, trying to take advantage. And so they named him Jacob, which meant deceit or guile or deceiver. And he proved to live up to his name, didn't he? Man, he was a stinker. But aren't you glad God saves stinkers? I am. <laughs> I'm so glad that he saves sinners. And, and there was a night where Jacob's name was changed. He wrestled with an angel. He wrestled with, a, it was actually, I believe it was Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And he wrestled with him all night long. Now that fight was fixed. Because Jesus could have won that battle in the first five minutes. But he wanted Jacob to wrestle with him. And he did. And later that night, he changed his name. And he changed the way he walked. He smote his hip. And he was lame in that hip from then on. And he walked differently from that day on. And I tell you, when you meet Jesus, really meet Jesus... It changes the way you walk. Changes the way you live. And, uh, and he changed his name and called him Israel. And then later, Israel is fleeing from his brother. And he lays down on the ground. And he has a dream. And he, he, he sees a, a ladder a stairway it goes all the way up to heaven. And he sees angels going up on one side and angels coming down on the other side. And he said, wow, this place is the, this is the very house of God right here. So now keep that in mind for the rest of the story. And Nathaniel said, Jesus said, uh, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip even called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I want to tell you, before you ever got saved, Jesus already saw you. He knew you. He knows who you are even to this day. And Nathanael was kind of blown away by that. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that why you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And then listen to this last verse. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That Connect that to the story. Here's an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. And what did Jacob see when his name was changed to Israel? He saw the connection between heaven and earth 
with angels going up and coming down. And he says, you're going to see the Son of Man. That's what Jesus called himself. Ninety-two times the term Son of Man is used in the New Testament. Eighty-nine of those times it's on the mouth of Jesus talking about himself. That's his favorite title for himself, Son of Man. You have to go back to the book of Daniel to understand what that term means. But it means the one to whom all authority is being given by the Ancient of Days. God the Father gives to the Son all judgment, all authority, and a kingdom that will never end. And he says, Nathaniel, you're going to see that I am the way. And you will see the angels ascending and descending on me. You will know that I am the connection between earth and heaven. Is that exciting to you? He is. He is. He's the one. And uh, I just think it's so amazing that Jesus knows all about us. He knew Nathaniel before Nathaniel ever even came to see him. When I was in Liberia, I got an opportunity to preach in one of their prisons. And I got locked in with the prisoners for about four hours. And I had an opportunity to meet the prisoners and to preach to them. And by the way, they do speak English in Liberia. That's their national language. And uh, so I was able to preach, and they could, I didn't have to have an interpreter. And when I got all the prisoners together, we got outside in, in an open courtyard, and I preached about Zacchaeus up in the tree and how that Jesus stopped under that tree. And he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I said, Jesus knew his name. And I said, he knows your name. And I said, he knows everything about you. He knows what you've been, where you've been, what you've done. And he calls you today. And he calls you by name. And he says, come. Come to me. Prisoners began to weep. And they began to cry out. It was one of the most amazing experiences in my whole life. And one of them said, he knows my name? I said, yes, he knows your name. I said, I don't know your name. And then he told me his name. I said, now I know your name. But before you told me your name, Jesus already knew your name. And that man, along with several other people, said that day, we want to follow Jesus. And I tell you today, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you've done, what you haven't done. He knows where you've been. He knows all about you, and he knows your name, and he calls you today by name. Just put it in there. He calls you by name, and he says, come, follow me, and I will save you, forgive you, change you, and make your life the life you've always wished it could be.
He knows your name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now to speak to our hearts. Draw those to yourself who are seeking. And we ask, what are you looking for? Just like Jesus said, what, what are you seeking? And for those who will say, I'm seeking you, Lord. I just want you. To them, you give the authority to be the sons and daughters of God. May they come now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.